Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our weekly message. We hope that it encourages and inspires you. To connect with our church family and to watch our live streams, please visit our website at sparkswillfly.cc. Hey man, let's go to Luke chapter uh, Luke chapter one. Whoever's uh, got the fog machine, I think we can pull it back. <laughs> hey Lord. Those that are watching by live stream, we're trying to get free from smoking, but we ain't made it there yet. So, uh, but Lord, it's smoked out in here this morning. So, I remember the first time I came here, I was probably, um, I think I was 19, first time I came to this church. And um, we come that morning, and I was sitting about midways right here in this center. And um, it was just smoky in here just like it is you know and the smoke was up in the ceiling and uh i told the guy i was riding with i said man don't look but the glory of god is in this house like it was in solomon's temple and he looked up he said man i I got fog machines in there i ain't never seen a fog machine in a church you know but uh it was pretty cool uh luke chapter one um for those uh that were not here sunday we were actually going to move this uh out I was actually going to take it out of here, but um, you were not here. I received this pulpit last Sunday. It is sticking out like a sore thumb because somebody's like, you know, people watching like live, like, man, why in the world he builds such a traditional pulpit like that and got everything else? But um, I, I decided I would preach out of it one more time before. Um, probably not going to be the last time I preach out of it, but we'll. I will go back and just I'm going to move it out of here. So. Um, I've had a ton of people ask me this question, you know, because Chris, he saw me get real emotional when they lifted the pulpit up. You know, what is under what was underneath it? Well, what was underneath it was a half a million dollars given to me by my father. Nah, I wish it was. Um, I would probably be on vacation. I wouldn't be preaching here this morning. But uh, what was underneath the bottom uh, when they moved it and um, was my dad's handprints underneath the bottom. And it was like it was just uh, just something real special, you know. And so, um, so this morning, I just I, I'm going to jump out of where we've been teaching on transformation and restoration, and I just want to share just basically a prophetic journey, okay? And so, uh, how many knows that like like I am? A lot of people in this room is holding a promise probably been holding for some period of time how many knows that how many knows that sometimes it's kind of difficult to steward a promise because man all things come you know when we especially if you're called out in the middle of a service or whatever if you're in a place of prayer and you hear God so loudly and you hear God say I'm about to do something how many knows that you just get ready to see it happen and sometimes God's speaking uh, years into the future and so, uh, Father, I just want to pray right here, and we'll, we'll get into this in Luke chapter 1. Father, I just thank you for this day, Lord. Father, I thank you for every life, every person that is here, everyone that is watching online. I thank you for the seeds that you have sown into our heart, Father. Lord, our hearts have been so full for so long for so many things, and yet the waves have come to beat against the ship, and there's been turns in the roads, there's been hills and valleys but through it all father you've been with us you've never forsaken us you've never you've never not once pulled back and father when you spoke to abraham when you said i couldn't swear by no one greater i swore by my own name and i thank you this morning that the promises of god are yes and amen in christ jesus they're not maybe so they may could be the promises of god are yes and amen in christ jesus And so, Father, this morning, I pray that you would open our ears. I pray that you would use me like a Mary walking to Elizabeth to cause a baby to jump in this room, to cause us to believe again. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. So I want to read this story out of Luke chapter 1. And so uh, let's go in... uh, Verse 26, I'm going to be reading out of the Passion Translation, okay? It says, During the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God's presence to an unmarried girl named Mary living in Nazareth. 
a village in Galilee. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, a true descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Grace to you, young woman, for the Lord is with you. And so you are appointed with great favor. Mary was deeply troubled over the words of the angel and, and, and bewildered and bewildered over what this which may mean for her. But the angel reassured her, saying, Do not yield to your fear, Mary, for the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. You'll become pregnant with a baby boy, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be supreme and will be known as the Son of the Highest. And the Lord on his... And, God help me here. And the Lord God will enthrone him as king on his ancestor David's throne. He will reign as king of Israel forever, and his reign will have no limit. Mary said, but how could this, be, how could this happen? I'm still a virgin. Gabriel answered, said, the spirit of holiness will fall upon you. And the almighty God will spread his shadow of power over you in a cloud of glory. And this is why the child born to you will be holy. And he will be called the Son of God. What's more, uh, what's more, your aged aunt Elizabeth has also become pregnant with, with a son. Um, the bearing one is now in her sixth month. Not one promise from God is empty of power. Man, that's so good right there, ain't it? Not one promise from God is empty of power, for nothing is impossible with God. Then Mary responded, saying, This is amazing. I will be a mother for the Lord and his servant. I accept whatever he has uh, for me. And, and may everything you have told me come to pass. And the angel left her. Afterward, Mary arose and hurried off to the hill country of Judea and to the village where, where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. Arriving at their home, Mary entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the moment she heard Mary's voice, the baby within Elizabeth's womb jumped and kicked, and suddenly Elizabeth was filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, and with a loud voice she prophesied with power, Mary, you are a woman given to the highest favor and privilege above all others, for your child is destined to bring God great delight. How, how did I deserve such a remarkable honor to have the mother of my Lord come to vi and visit me? The moment you came in the door and greeted me, my baby danced inside me with ecstatic joy. Great favor is upon you, for you have believed every word spoken to you from the mouth of the Lord. So I just want to preach this morning on encouragement. How many knows that people that talk about their promise encourage us that those that still believing in a promise or that are waiting on a promise. And so this morning, all I know to do is look back and I'm going to take you through some history to tell you the where I believe we are now and um, and. And, and what we're after going with in the in the future. So, as I shared last Sunday, I just got to recap this because this is just too great of a story. And Damon Thompson said this: that repetition is is held in great esteem everywhere except the church. It's like we hear something and then boom, you know what I'm saying? Or we see God do something miraculous, and that was just this Sunday. Now, what's going? What? Let's just go on. And then I think that we've got to go back and we got to learn how to steward the things that God is doing, even even the very small things. Now, this is not a small thing to me. This is a very significant thing because I waited 14 years to see this, and um, and it didn't happen the way I thought it would happen. Okay, and so if you go back and you heard me, we were believing. I, I never saw this in my future. I, I I never wanted to live here. Matter of fact, when we first came to pastor this church, I would ride down this where the where the school system is located or whatever, and I would just cry in my own personal time and say, God, I don't know that I could ever live here. And then that first year, I remember uh, Grant. He was ten years old. He would cry every night. And then Grant, uh, you know, one night he he was crying really bad, and he just said, Dad, he said, if you'll let me go back and live with granddaddy he said i'll never ask you for a christmas present i should have took him up on that you know what i'm saying and um but you know he cried every night but uh how many knows that change was evident we were in transition and, and transition is never fun i mean you know they, they call the last stage of pregnancy transition i've never I, i've watched Catherine deliver three uh, of our uh, our three children 
and not just three of our children, but our three children. I watched her deliver them. And when she got in transition, it was not like, you know, eating cake and ice cream. At one point, I thought she was going to die. It was rough. But how many know she was bringing life into the world? We were, we were in transition. So that was a very uncomfortable, uh, very uncomfortable season. And so we didn't give up. We knew that God had spoke to us and told us because it was just, we knew that God had told us to come here. And now, you know, I, I can't imagine living anywhere else. It's amazing how it's just become home, and, it's, and it seems like I've lived here my entire life. How many knows that that is the work of God doing that? And so in this story, to me, I see in this story that not only is, here's Elizabeth that is old. She was barren, but she received a promise that she was going to give birth a son also. Zacharias had that prayer, and when, when, when he was in the, in the place of prayer, God came to him uh, through uh, Gabriel and said, uh, thy prayer is answered. Now, that is not the prayer that he was praying at that moment. That is a prayer that he no longer prayed. He no longer prayed anymore. And it's just like this. How many knows that there's times that we're praying, God, God, would you please answer this? And God seemingly answers something that you're not even praying about anymore. So, so to me, I, I believed in the pulpit that God was going to give it. I talked about it for a long time. And I knew this, that you really don't believe it until you start speaking it out of your mouth. You know what I'm saying? And then how many knows that sometimes your dream is just like Joseph's dream. His brothers didn't celebrate that. I mean, uh, they could have had everything that Pharaoh and Egypt had, but because of their rejection of Joseph, they had to go bow their knee unto their brother, and God answered his dream. But, but everybody doesn't celebrate that sometimes. And so what I did is I talked about it for so long. And then I remember in 2013, when we left that city, Catherine looking at me was we was driving with, you know, the city in the rear view mirror. And she said, but what about the promises? What about God's promises? And so I just want to remind you this. Sometimes the promise doesn't bear out the way you think it is, but God's got a perfect plan that he's weaving into our life, man. Jeremiah 29, I know the plans that I think towards you. We often quote that, but that was quoted to a people in captivity. Come on now. That wasn't quoted to a people that was eating the cake. They, was, they were living in the valley. They were in captivity. But God says, I know the plans that I have for you. God always has good for us. And it does, and, and it, it didn't turn. I didn't get it the way I thought I would get it. But, but, but one thing about it is, is, is I got it today. And so I'm asking God like this. When God does something significant, God, what is the prophetic meaning? What are you saying to me? Why did, out of all this time that Chris knew that I wanted the pulpit for years, why in this season? does he bring it into my life why does God do it on the date 314 why didn't he do it uh, you know and so when I begin to call my family and my uncle and to, to share the story with him he said I thought that Johnny said I thought I would have drove I would have been there but I thought they were doing it today and so why did God do it that so that's just where I'm at and that's what where I want to uh, talk about and maybe I can get my thoughts together a little bit I've got a lot going through my mind um when it comes to this. But in 2007, just to give a recap for those that were not here, in 2007, we had stepped out by faith. I was 26 years old in 2006, and I felt like God told me to go to my home, my hometown and plant a church. Now, I remember coming and meeting with uh, Pastor Dale, and we met upstairs, and this is just the way he was. I wanted to do a worship service. I wanted to do some worship services over there, just to whatever. That is not how he functioned, and those that knew him knew this. He just told me, we're not going to dip our toes in the water and see if it's God or not. Either it's God and you go or whatever. So... And, and all of it was great as long as it was an idea. We talked about it in our house. We go into our home church to plant a church. And so I came here. I was, I was uh, 25 years old. Um, I, I'd stayed at the cabin that night. I was in this church. And I knew that we were going to lay hands on me that morning to send me out of here to go to my hometown to plant a church. And so I'm just, I'm just in this service. And Everything I told Catherine, three fears out of my heart, because we all got fears. Come on now. I told her three things out of my heart that was a fear of, of really launching this church. That morning, standing in this service, prophetically, God nailed every one of those fears and, and told me his promise of what he would do instead of listening to that voice that lied to me to say that trying to show another picture in there. And so we go, we step out by faith, and I'll never forget him standing here. Um, 
I'll never forget him standing on this stage and saying, we're going to plant a church before Easter Sunday. I mean, when he said that, I like to pass out. Because now, how many knows you're not just talking about it in private. Now you got to go put legs on it. You know what I'm saying? Now it's done publicly declared. Now he, I, I thought we was going to do it within two years, maybe three years. But he said before Easter Sunday. And I, we were standing here in March. I mean, but we, we got to get things going. And listen to this. We didn't have two pennies to rub together. God sent us out of this house with over $4,000. Long story short, we did go plant the church. We didn't make it by Easter, but we made it by May. The first Sunday in May is when we preached our first service. That night before we preached the first service, I had a dream. And in my dream, I saw that city underwater. I saw, I saw water running down the streets. And, 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 and I remember telling Catherine, I said, this is God speaking a prophetic sign that the glory of God is coming to this city. God's, that, that water rushing down the streets, the glory of God uh, covering. And so it got in the church, and the water rose, level rose in the church. And I remember seeing the carpet just floating out of the church, down, and everything was just underwater. Well, how many knows that you just beginning the journey? You're pushing the boat off the shore. Well, man, we encountered storm after storm, and then when we get into 2013 in January of 2013 I feel like God is telling me to leave that city I mean how can God tell you to leave a baby that you birthed how can God tell you to, to leave a promise where everything's in the promise let me give you another story I'm just going to talk about the promise of God there was a young man in the early 80s that God was using he was the first one really to pioneer in the in the worship realm by the name of Keith Green he started taking the worship from horizontal to vertical, started singing unto God, and God was using him. And God had given him a prophecy that God was going to use him to shape teenagers and, and, and that there would be a youth movement raised up uh, you know, through his ministry or whatever. Well, those of you that know the story of Keith Green in July, I think it was 1982, he had a group of missionaries to come to his ranch in Texas, and they were just going out for an evening flight to take his two kids, uh, two of his kids and the missionary and their children up in the airplane. Something happened, and that plane crashed, and it killed every one of them on there. I remember uh, the story of his wife, Melanie, calling uh, Leonard Ravenhill, and she said that Keith is gone, and Leonard told her, on the phone said, unless a grain of wheat grow into the ground and die, it, it abides alone. But if it goes into the ground and dies, it will bear much fruit. He was scheduled that following, uh, that following, um, fall to be at ORU University. There was a young man there by the name of Ron Luce. Ron Luce winds up a purchasing that that uh, farm, that ranch in Garden Valley, Texas, where he planted a choir of the fire. And listen here, what God said to Keith Green did come to pass. It didn't come the way they thought it would, but Ron Luce acquired that, that what Keith uh, Green had already purchased, and God has shook teenager thousands upon thousands of lives have been changed through that ministry. So a lot of times the promises of God, the way we have it visioned out, it does it play out like that? And so for me, I never saw none of this in my future. I, I, I saw that city, my hometown that God would put in me. I had my life planned out there. That's what it was going to happen. So it did, it, obviously it didn't happen like that. So another thing, you got, you got Elizabeth being old, the prayer that they no longer pray, now God is answering. You got the young Mary that is coming in the house that has just encountered the Lord, and God told her that he's going to overshadow her, and she's going to give birth to Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. This is, the, uh, this is to me, uh, just a perfect picture of Joel 2.28, that in the last days the old men will dream dreams and the young men will see visions. What it literally means, it doesn't mean that the old men are going to have new dreams, but the dreams that they no longer or dream anymore are going to be revisited back to them. Come on, somebody. I believe God, I, I know we're at a crazy place in America, but I'm telling you, I was watching R.T. Kendall last night. He said, we're getting set up for the greatest visitation that the earth has ever seen, and I believe that with my whole heart. I cannot live every day believing that the best has already happened, friend. Come on, somebody. I must believe that God is with us today, and, the, and just like, as the prophet Habakkuk said, revive the works in the years in the midst I live in. I appreciate reading about William Brennan, but I, I didn't live in the 50s. I'm here now. All right. So this took a lot of, of, of when I don't want to really get all back into the story that much because I want to try to get into some new stuff. But when God told me after we planted that church in 06, I told you this, that so you'll understand the significance of this. My father at the close of 2005 got sick. We thought he had, we thought he was battling kidney stones. It turned out he was not battling kidney stones. He had a tumor that they found on his pancreas. 
And so we were going for what we thought was just a light surgery on November the 18th of 05. My father did not leave the, the hospital out of Savannah until I think it was January the 4th. And I did not believe at that point it, when New Year's rolled around in 06, I didn't believe my father was going to leave the hospital, but he did. And so my dad was a builder, and I, we had just planted the church, and I was preaching behind a music stand. So the pulpit was meant something to me, and I, I, I told my dad, Dad, I need you to build the pulpit. Dad never got around to building the pulpit. When he got better, he went fishing, and he, he actually he went to heaven at his place on the river. And so I never did get it. So in 07, I'm praying, and God speaks to me at this in this in this building, God says, your father built you a pulpit. So this really started the journey on that promise. And so I didn't know where it was at or whatever, but then it took me about two weeks. And I remember a church that my father and my uncle built. And the cabinet, they had wanted to get the cabinet guy to build a pulpit in that church. But for whatever reason, he didn't. So my father had to build the pulpit. So my father constructs this pulpit in, in his, his own shop. And this is what goes in that church. And so it was sitting there. Now, when I obviously I didn't know nothing. I didn't know I did not even see Pastor Chris in the building, so I got to talk with him after that. That church had changed hands. The building actually sold. It had changed pastors multiple times in the past two years, and now a Catholic church had purchased that. And so the pulpit was no longer in the sanctuary. They didn't know where it was at. And thank God that somebody had stuck this in a back storage room. It, it was. It, it, was, it was stuck in the corner in a back storage room, and it's almost like God protected it that nobody could get it. So when he finally tracks it down and he tracks this leader down, the leader's not even in the country. He's overseas. He's in his home country. And he said, I won't be back in the country until this date or whatever, but if you will, you, you, we can go look and you can find it. And so just to have the token of, of not only did I get it, but when my dad, he must, I know the way he would have built this. And so what it is, is he had the stain on his hands. And so when he went to move the bottom of the pulpit before he, before he put it together, after staining it, uh, he actually reached underneath. And so my father's handprints are underneath the bottom, which was just to add a bonus in the thing. So how do you... When you talk about this, guys, this is the only thing I can do is go through what I feel like the Lord is saying to me on my own journey. I've told you multiple times I'm not smart enough and I'm not prophetic enough sometimes to figure out exactly where we're at and where we're going, but God does drop me nuggets. God always gives me a dream. He's always used me in my dream life. And, and so why did this come on 314? First of all, I thought it was crazy. Last Sunday, 314 is when it comes. I waited 14 years, and 14 is the day that it showed up. Three is the number of God. Come on, somebody. That represents the tw Trinity. 14 is the number of establishment. I wait 14 years, and it shows up on 314. So God is speaking to me, son, I'm trying to establish something. I believe that God is trying to establish something in uh, not only in me, but in us and also in this region. God's trying to establish something. There's something that he is saying that I, he wants to establish. Now, I found a letter. There's a couple of things that I always keep. And um, one, one that I've been, I've had this since, um, I've had this since I was 20 years old. And I always keep it, goes in my briefcase. It's just a letter with some handwriting on there. And it, I want to talk about that in just a minute. And so I've also got a letter that was written on July the 14th, 2008. I always keep up with this letter. It ain't. It's only got just a little bit in there about me, but whatever. It was not. It was written by Pastor Dale, and this is what he sends. Because in 2006, I had the opportunity. A uh, 2008, I had the opportunity to come preach here. It was my first time coming here, and you got to understand. For me, this place was the this place was the epicenter of anybody that wanted to preach the gospel. You with me? Y'all right with this? So this, this was, uh, so I remember coming here, I remember I was so nervous that I didn't know if I had to throw up or do number two, and I know that ain't good to speak into mine. So I go in the bathroom, I mean, I mean, whatever, Kevin said, you so, you know, I, I was just nervous because I was, I was afraid that I was going to say something wrong or whatever, but I knew, I felt like God had spoke to me. And I came in 2008 with a, with a message that I believe the Lord had spoke to me out of Mark chapter four, and it started in verse 35 and 36. And what it talks about is it talks about when Jesus stepped on the boat and they launched the boat out, it says that there was other little ships that were following them. 
And I felt like that has always been the call of God on this house, that this was always a mother house, a mother ship that would carry resources and things for other little ships. And those little ships were all out there. And how many knows that when they got that in the scripture, that's when the storm arose. We've been through the storms. Come on, somebody. And it, I don't believe we've been through the last storm, but we've been through some storms. And so I came and I preached, and I remember going over there to that wall talking about the high water mark. If you're a fisherman, you know that rivers and stuff rise, and a lot of times rivers, they'll put high water marks where it, where it has once got, where the flood stage was, where it was at. And so I, I walked over there to that side of the wall back in 08, um, and I was preaching, and I was talking about the high water mark, but I was preaching about me being one of the little ships that was following, and I was talking about that water mark. And so when we come back, when we came here in 2013, Chris actually come in 2014 just because he was my friend he came in 2014 and he he actually told me this privately he said man I'm being honest with you he said I love you John and he said you've always been full of passion he said but I'm telling you buddy I just believe you're wasting your time now he'll tell you he's glad I hung on you know what I'm saying because he he, he had seen the water mark so high and he had seen the water recede to where it was down to where you had never believed nothing was going to come back in and so so he just said that so so in that, I want to read this letter. I preached that message. Now, back then, I never heard anything after I left to preach the message. Pastor Dale didn't call me that week. He didn't call me the next week. He didn't call me the third week. About three and a half weeks after I preached, I finally received a phone call. And I told Catherine, I said, we're done. I said, I'm telling you, I totally blew it. That's why we ain't heard from it. How many knows the enemy always try to lie to you? Come on now. That is, that is nothing what he thought. Actually, he said, he said I, was so, I was so impressed that I made that CD the CD of the month. Going back right here. He says, dear Cornerstone family, this is July 24, 2008. I greet you in the name of Jesus. I've seldom done this, but I felt compelled by the Spirit to send you these two CDs and to ask you to take the time to listen to each message. I was so touched by the message that Pastor John Bagley preached here at Cornerstone while I was on vacation that I ministered under a powerful anointing. And I know you will be blessed by the word from the Lord. He speaks prophetically to the importance of Cornerstone's church as the mother church of this network and our purposes. I want to tell you that there's little ships that are scattered all throughout. I'm telling you, man, there's people that walked and believed with the promises of God just like I have for all those times, and they're scattered all throughout. We're, we're going, when we leave here, to travel two hours to go to some little ships that have gotten shipwrecked, but I'm telling you, God is raising the little ships up again. I'm just here to tell I don't know who, I, I don't care if I got four people to believe what I'm telling you. I'm telling you the call of God on my life is to go get the little ship and get him back restored. Come on some of that's it. This is what I'll spend the rest of my life doing, investing in the little ship and say, hey, what we believe, I can't help it, man. I was like a young Joshua that heard the stories. They did not, they were not fairy tales to me. They penetrated deep into my being and I still believe them today. And I'm telling you, church, listen, when Joshua and Caleb, they come back and said, hey, the land, the land is just like you said. There's fruit in that land like we've never even seen before with our natural eyes. But but it was, the, it was the 10 unbelievers that gave their report that shut that whole generation down. We cannot walk in an unbelieving spirit anymore, church. We've been an unbelieving church for too long. It is time we believe what God says. We must see Christ as king and victor over disease, death, hell, and the grave. He is king and we are the kings he's king of. We've got to shift the focus. Now look at this. He's writing this in the midst of an economic crisis. He's writing this in the midst of 2008. We go into the economic crisis. This is when this letter, he said, while I was on vacation and spending time with the Lord, I was moved by the Holy Spirit in regard to this present time. And the things that we are facing as a nation and the church, there is a lot of unrest. And we are in a very turbulent time of transition. Things that we use to find our security in and things that we once depended on are not comfortable or reliable any longer. Many people, even Christians, are experiencing anxiety and fear because of all the shifting that is taking place. Rising fuel prices, food prices, economic recession, presidential election, and many other things are on the minds of this world. God's word says that there were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel 
the church ought to do. I want to assure you that we are not coming into lack, of, into lack or scarcity. We are beginning the time of an energy revolution. Look at this, man, how prophetic this letter is right now where I'm talking about. Listen to me, church. I want to assure you that we are not in, coming into lack or scarce, scarcity, but we are beginning a time of energy revolution and where we are simply changing our primary fuel source and dependency on oil. If you know where you are going, then you can begin to position yourself to take advantage of this. Many of God's people will invest in these new technologies of wind. I'm telling you right now, listen, I was sitting in a meeting, and it is no, it is probably was, it's no disguise who was talking about. We was in our cabin, and Danny was talking about investing. We were talking about these things or whatever. I had an engineer to meet me here during the day, and he said our church at the beginning of 2020 was three point, I want to think it was 3.7, right? $3.7 million in debt. At the beginning of 2020, he said, today we are less than $300,000 in debt by a group of 20 people to 25 people who knew where to invest their money and, they are and they've reaped that money, by they've reaped that amount of money from the stock market and just tithing off of that income. We will never suffice the vision of what comes into the coffers, friend. Come on, somebody. We must teach and train the people what to do with their money. Come on, we must get out of this spirit of poverty where we've been taught our whole life, we'll just save, 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 save as much. You can save all you know to save, but listen, when Jesus came back in that parable, I'm not talking about not saving, but when he came back, he rebuked a man for, that took his money and did not invest it and hid it and just held on to it. He praised the one who invested one and made five talents. He said he's going to get ten. The one who made uh, uh, two, he's going to get four. You with me? So look at what he's talking about. He's talking about a time of investment. Many of God's people will invest in these two new technologies of wind, hydrogen, and many other things, and the wealth of the wicked will be transferred to the righteous for the purpose of establishing his kingdom. I address these things on the CD. I understand how busy we are. Look at this. But if we're going to the expense and my staff is taking the time to send this to you, please take the time to listen to both of these messages. Once you have to listen to them, please pass them on to someone else for encouragement. Now, I want to read right here. Go to Isaiah chapter 49. So God's trying to establish something. Have a dream. This is in 2020. I have a dream, and in the dream, I'm discouraged. I know that it's Wednesday night at seven o'clock. I had already preached here, and then instantly I was taken to Redding, California, and I walk in Chris Valentin's office. And I believe that this, I believe Chris Valentin in the dream just represents the office of the prophet, okay? And he looks at me and he, he, he talks small talk and he said, he said, um, how are things in Georgia? And I said, well, things are not just that great in Georgia. And I was discouraged and I began to tell him how discouraged I was for a moment. And so let me just say this, one of the first dreams I was given When I, when, one of the first dreams I was given here within the first year, I have a dream that this place is just loud and rocking. People celebrating the presence of God. And we can hear it in the building. And I'm sitting in that room right there, which used to be my office. And Bill Johnson walks in that door. And he's got the plaque of the CD of recovering the anointing in his hand. And he looks at me and he says, for surely as I stand here, God has called you here. And he said, this is what he's called you to do, to recover the anointing. All this morning I'm trying to do it. I don't feel like I'm doing a great job is to recover a dream in your heart that you can believe for. So, you know, I, I, some people say, you know, you remember on the movie National Treasure, 
when they show up at his dad's house and they had stole the Declaration of Independence. And he said this, he said, you know, your grandfather and I, we wasted our entire life hunting that dumb treasure. And you've done ruined your life. But I'm telling you right here, there's one generation that'll find the Charlotte. There's another generation, come on, that'll find the Declaration of Independence. There's another generation that's called to find that set of glasses that are hanging under the clock in Philadelphia to give the vision on the last generation to be able to go into that treasure room. Come on, somebody. This is where we're at. So I don't know if I've got the glasses. I don't know what, but I want to be faithful. I want to be able to look at the Lord and say, I ran the race that you called me to, and I lived my life to raise up a generation to go pursue that treasure that is in there. You with me? What is the treasure? The treasure is everything that's spoken for out of, out of Hebrews chapter 11. This is the harvest, friend. Come on, somebody. It's a harvest of every promise in that book, and it's a harvest of every word that come out of the mouth of God through man. That's what it is, a harvest generation. So I'm, I'm, I'm discouraged, and I tell him this. Well, Chris stands up in the dream, and he gets from behind his desk, and he looks at me. And he says, the word of God is ingrained into me. It's what he says. And I'm looking at him. And he said, Yahweh wrote a chapter about you. Do you want to hear it? Well, I said, yes. Then he said, come. He went and he had a couch in his office and he laid out on his back on the couch. I laid across the man with my, with my back on his chest. He put his arms around me and he read the chapter that Yahweh wrote about me. Now, he did not read the chapter in the dream. He opened his Bible up, and I saw the headline in the dream, and it said Isaiah 49. So I immediately woke up, and I was like, what is in the Isaiah 49? You know what I'm saying? And so here it is. I'm going to read Isaiah 49 to you out of the Passion Translation, okay? Listen to what I have to say to you islands. Pay attention to me, you who live in distant lands. Yahweh's called me as his own before I was born. And he named me while I was still in my mother's womb. He gives me words that pierce and penetrate. He hid me and protected me in the shadow of his hand. He prepared me like a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. And he said to me, Israel, you are my special servant. In you I will be glorified. And I said, I've worked and served for nothing. I've used up all my strength for nothing, yet my rights I leave in Yahweh's hands. And my just reward is with my God. And now the Lord Yahweh who shaped me in the, in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob's tribe back to him, that Israel would be gathered back to himself. For I am honored in the sight of Yahweh. I find the source of my strength in my God who says, Is this too, too small a thing for you, my servant, to restore greatness to Jacob's tribes and to the survivors of Israel? I will make you to be the light to the nations and to bring the light of my salvation to the ends of the earth. Yahweh, Israel's kins, kinsman, redeemer, and the Holy One says to the one who is deeply despised and repulsed by the rulers and slave in the ruling class, kings see and stand up in respect. Princes will bow down and honor the faithfulness of Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. I want to show you this verse right here. In verse 8, Yahweh says, when the time of showing you favors come, I believe it is now, listen to this, I will answer your heart's cry. I will help you in the day of salvation, for I fixed my eyes on you, and I made you a covenant people to restore the land. God wants to bring restoration to the lands. Come on, somebody. I don't. I just feel like I ain't doing this justice. Maybe this is just for me, but you got to all see that we're all a part of this. That every person that is hooked to this, you're a part of this. I've made you a covenant people to restore the land. This is why God wants restoration in our lives. Because restored people go back and restore. Remember this in Isaiah 61? Remember this in Isaiah 61? It's also Luke 4.18. That God pulls in the brokenhearted. He binds us up. Then he goes sends us back out to rebuild the old waste places. We go right back into the places where we've been hurt. Another thing I want to tell you that I believe is key to receiving this when I did. Nobody knows this, but in private, two weeks prior to 
receiving this. I got down on my hands and knees at the cabin and I forgave my father, my natural father. I said, I forgive you for every time that you come home drunk and put fear in my life. I went through a whole thing of forgiveness. I believe that there was still some of that in my heart that was there that I was unaware of. And when I was truly being able to do that, then I was able to receive what my father gave me. You with me now? So see, sometimes it may be this. Because it didn't turn out the way we said, maybe we need to go back and repent of what we thought about God that, he, that, that he, didn't, he didn't really say. You know what I'm saying? Maybe we need to clean up some things from the past saying, you know what, I, I ask you to forgive me for thinking about that. Like that. So he says this. He says to bring restoration to the land and to restore families of forgotten inheritances. What has God said about you over the last, that you've been toting for 10, 20 years? What is he saying? That, I believe that is the call of God. That, that I want to find the families, get them restored, not just here. It's bigger than that. You understand that? I'm talking about a whole entire region. I ain't just talking about Cornerstone here. I'm talking about the whole entire region. And to bring restoration of that promise into their life. So I called an intercessor friend of mine and I said, would you please pray over something that I thought that I was to do? So I mean, because I'm like, you know, what all does a pulpit mean or whatever? So I have another one and we've actually brought it in here that I've had for since uh, 2000, 2003. It really didn't come into my possession until 2000, 2006, but it was also built by my family and it's right in that room right there and I felt like God told me that we're to do something significant with that other pulpit and so this came from Alma Alma is a little bitty town that there ain't much to it it's kind of like Sparks but it just I, I've, I've asked God not to make me live there's a couple places I've ever I've always asked God not to make me live one of them is Coffee County if you're from Coffee County I'm sorry but I just, I, I've asked God, please don't ever, I would rather him send me to the bush of Africa than Coffee County. I don't like the Trojans. We love beating them. You know what I'm saying? Just the whole nine yards. I just, I'm probably going to get some hate mail on that. But, at that, but when, I was, when I was a teenager, I always wanted to live in Nichols. And Nichols is Coffee County. And what they say about Nichols is not even worth a dime, you know. But it came from Alma. There's a couple of things that they say about Alma. Number one, that it got its name from a traveling salesman who his wife was named Alma Sheridan. But what they hold on the chamber website, on the chamber's website is this, that Alma got its name from the four capitals of the state. Now, Jason, you know, I'm telling you this, we always felt like that city was significant. That city was the first city that ever came looking to this church for an apostolic covering. It was in 1998 that I was in a Methodist church that I met Steve and Pastor Dale as they come in and preached in that church. And I never, he was so, he was so skilled in the word that it was challenging the people in the room and you could hear the Bibles just flipping to see if he was quoting a verse right. That's where I received the first prophetic word over my life. There was three men at the front prophesying. And I started on that side, and as I walked through the line, every, each man gave me the same word. And it was this, there's a Barnabas anointing on your life, and you're called to be a son of encouragement. That's what I hope I'm doing today is imparting courage into you. Because, see, when we encourage people, we literally part courage in them for, the, for them to run the race. And so Alma, they believed what they hold is that they named that city after the four capitals of the state of Georgia, Augusta. Um, what is, I got them right here, I think, whatever. Augusta, Louisville, Milledgeville, and Atlanta. So the whole four states of the history of the capitals is tied up into that one city. But the name also means this. It means young virgin, young woman. It means a breath of the Spirit, the encourager of the soul. 
And so I felt like God, what, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm going to leave this place struggling a little bit. But I felt like God is, is today wants to breathe on whatever you're contending for. I told you the things I'm contending for. I'm going to drive two, over two hours just to put something in the soil as a marker. They say, God gave us this region. And regardless of where it's at right now, I'm putting it in there. You know what I'm saying? David walked up to Jerusalem before it was ever called. Before, while the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Hivites and everybody else was there, he, go, he goes up into that city and he calls it the city of David and says, we're going to work from here out. You know what I'm saying? But God will do what he promised me he'll do when, Jesse, when, when, when Samuel came by my house and anointed me with king. And so I just want to tell you that I believe that we're in the closing of 2021, throughout the remainder of this year in 2020, we're going to see a lot of things come to pass that we thought would never come to pass. A lot of old words. Man, I don't know. A lot of things that we've held on. There's going to be the suddenlies of God released. The things that we believed for for so long that we no longer pray anymore. We forgot about it. You know what I'm saying? We're no longer praying that prayer anymore. It's just, it's just not burning on my heart anymore because I've kind of lost hope in that. I've kind of forgot about that. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, me and my sister was sitting down. It's like my father was such, uh, my father was uh, so uh, perfectionist, if you will. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, I used to, man, we, we would butt horn so bad when I had to work with him because, I mean, he would tell it on his crown mold, and he, I say, you know, we got to sand it good enough. He said, I tell you, when a fly lands on it and he falls off of it, then we got to sand it right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he just, he would just, he just the way he did. So he would have never left. He would have never left any smudges. I don't care if it was in the hidden area where it was at or whatever. But my sister and I, we sat there and said, it's almost like my father put his handprints in there for way down the road in the future that I would discover that. You know what I'm saying? And I don't believe, I don't, I, I, let me just say this, and this is maybe just for me, and I don't know if I've encouraged you or not, but I take it as another sign. It's my heavenly father's handprint saying, son, I put my hands on your life. Don't never doubt what I've done on your life. You know what I'm saying? Because just like you, a lot of us, what happens, the things that God tells us, for a long time, we don't even believe we're worthy to do something like that. We don't even believe we're qualified to even get in that lane. You know what I'm saying? But God never calls the qualified. He never looks down and says, well, I think I'll do that because he's just qualified to do that. God always qualifies those who he calls. And regardless of what he tells you, it doesn't matter what your checking account looks like. It doesn't matter what your gifting level looks like. God will put everything you need in in your lane to accomplish the vision. All you have to do is be obedient and say yes. That's God. That's all he's looking for. All he is looking for is our yes. And so to me, like when we leave here and we look at those, we, we drive in those regions. Catherine woke up for, uh, Saturday morning. She said, I had a dream. And in the dream, she saw a leader. This is a leader that used to be really close or whatever, but just where they're at now, I don't know. But in the dream, Catherine saw them laying on a hospital gurney. And we were pushing them. And she and I were pushing them, and we were pushing them through city after city after city, trying to, trying to get them to the hospital. And in the dream, she looked down as we was pushing them, the eye fell out. I mean, it's crazy, ain't it? <laughs> we probably had some bad pizza or something, I don't know. But she had a divine knowing that the retina had detached. And I said, Catherine, I'm telling you what God's telling you right there. That's the call of God on our lives. That's someone who's lost vision. They're, they, they ain't at a place of health right now, but we're going to carry them and we're going to push them through every city, every destination because the hospital ain't necessarily the hospital. Come on. God is wanting to restore some vision. I feel like this morning that maybe we should just take this time and say, you know what? Because I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. One of my worst sins is this, is when I get frustrated, I just want to throw everything down. Am I the only one? When I'm frustrated, I don't need no help, and I'll speak enough death that I got to wade through for three years. You know what I'm saying? And then, so there's been times that I opened out of my mouth and said, you know what, that was just crazy. I should have never said that publicly about getting my father's pulpit. There ain't nobody ever going to obey God and release that pulpit. Nobody's even going to go get it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I just, I just don't know about it no more. 
And then we get to that place where we're so discouraged, God comes back in, puts the very thing that we were after to breathe air in us again and to breathe fresh on us again and say, I'm still with you, son. I have not forgotten nothing that I told you. Everything is just as... So, hey, I read a letter from 2008. I believe we're in that perilous time again. But I believe that God has given us wisdom to discern the times. We can't sit in this room and talk about the wealth of the wicked being transferred to the righteous if we don't have tools in our lane to know how to transfer it. I, you can have, you can have, I can go tell you right now that that's a, that's a bad to the bone Ford F-250 Larry sitting right there and it's, a, it's the baddest thing on wheels to drive and you'll love it. But if you don't have the code to access the door, all you're going to hear is me talk about it. But if you get the code to access the door, you can hit the start button and enjoy what's out there. So God's going to give us keys and codes to access what's available. Are you with me now? So I just want to pray over you this morning. I feel like I should do this. I'm, I'm really done. If you believe God, if you're saying, God, you know what? I, I, I just feel like we should go after a, a promise. If that, That's just what I'm going to do right here. And so I just want to, I'm not going to lay hands as much as do a shotgun prayer, but I feel like we should really come and stand right here. If you say, God, you know, I mean, this is me. I mean, I've believed for a long time on this, but I haven't seen it. I mean, there's no evidence that this is even possible. I want you to stand up because I believe, I want to pray for you. Come on, raise your hands. Come on, raise your hands. Come on, I'm going to bless you right here. Father, we thank you, Lord. Come on, raise your hands towards them. Father, we bless them in the name of the Lord God. Whew. I bless them right now in the name of the Lord God. We bless you in Jesus' name. We bless you in Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord, I bless their home. I bless their marriage. I bless their family. In the name of the Lord God, I bless the seed that they got in the ground. I pray for a fresh watering of the seed in the name of the Lord God. In Jesus' name, I thank you for fresh wind coming into them this morning. Where David said, Thou anointest my head with fresh oil. We thank you for the fresh oil of heaven coming right now upon them. In Jesus' name, we bless them today. We bless them today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, raise your hands, church. Come on, we bless you with the fresh wind in your sails. In the name of Jesus, may God stir up that promise. It is not far-fetched. It's not too hard to believe. Let him stir that promise within your heart, the one you no longer pray. He's going to begin to answer some things. Father, again, I bless this people today. I thank you for the privilege of standing here holding this microphone, proclaiming your voice into their life. And today I declare fresh oil be upon them. Fresh vision be in their heart. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Will you give God a great God bless you this morning? We love you, friend. Thank you. We'll see you next Sunday. We hope you enjoyed our weekly message. Thank you for joining us. We want to connect with you. Please visit our website at sparkswillfly.cc where you can find our social media information and directions to download our smartphone app. This will keep you connected to all things Cornerstone. We pray that you have a wonderful week.